0: Well, this morning, we're continuing our sermon series, Extraordinary Power of God Through the Ordinary Means of Grace. The book of Acts, Luke tells us that in the beginnings of the church, after Pentecost, when 3,000 came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that this new church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So this morning, we're continuing by asking the question, what does it mean to be devoted to the word of God? And specifically, how do we read it? So that I might invite you to stand for reading of God's word. First, I'll read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, and then a reading from Psalm 119. Luke writes, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now Psalm 119, verse 1. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. In the Gospel of Luke we're told that an expert in the Old Testament law, a religious scholar comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. Now Luke tells us that this lawyer isn't genuinely really interested in the answer to the question. He's just trying to put Jesus to the test. So he comes to Jesus, Luke 10, verse 25. We're told, behold, this lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, being the great master teacher that Jesus was and is, he responded to this religious scholar's question with a question. Actually, not just one question. He responded with two questions. First, he asks, what is written in the law? And then a second question. How do you read it? Verse 27 This religious scholar, this lawyer, answers the first question. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your strength and mind and your neighbor as yourself. He gets the first question exactly right. And that should not surprise us. After all, he was an expert in Jewish law. He knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. But as we see in the Gospel of Luke, that it was the second question that this religious scholar could not answer. That though he knew God's word with his mind, he didn't actually know how to read it. And there is a huge difference. In fact, Jesus tells us that how we read the word of God is a matter of life and death. Verse 28, jesus says to this lawyer you have answered correctly do this and you will live it is one thing to know what is in god's word it is another thing entirely to know how to read it and so this morning by the power of the holy spirit by his help We are going to do our best to try to answer that question. Not just what is written in God's word, but how do we read it? When we open up the pages of the Bible, how should we approach God's word? This morning, Jesus is asking you and me, how do you read it? How should we read the word of God? We must learn to read God's word with the Holy Spirit. We must learn to read God's word with a holy appetite. We must learn to read God's word with great expectation. And we're going to see this, how to answer that question. How do we read it in Psalm 119? So the first thing that Psalm 119 shows us about how we should read God's word is that we must read the word of God with the Holy Spirit. I want you to look with me, Psalm 119, verse 1. What you need to know is that Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. In fact, it's the longest chapter of any book of the Bible with 176 verses. Not only that, but these 176 verses are split up into 22 sections, each section with eight verses each. With each eight verse section, what you cannot tell in your English translation is that each eight verse section begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So here in our reading this morning, those first eight verses, what you cannot read in your English translation is that every one of those first eight verses begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, alf. The second eight verses, verses nine through 16, begin with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That. Now I want you to think for just a second how complicated that is. Like I challenge you to go home and try to do that with the English alphabet. Sit down and, and try to write eight sentences that all begin with the letter A and then do it with B and C and so on. And I think we'd all get kind of far until we get it at least to maybe X and then we're done. C.S. Lewis said of Psalm 119, that it's like a piece of embroidery. that has been intricately woven together, stitch by stitch in the quiet hours for love of the subject and for the delight in leisurely disciplined craftsmanship. In other words, what's so amazing about Psalm 119, all of this poetic genius, its complexity, the skill to put it together, all of these verses, all 176 of them separated into eight verses Verse sections, all of this is dedicated to one single subject. Psalm 119 is devoted to the praise and honor and glory and majesty of God for his holy word.
1: I want you to consider that this morning. Of all the things the psalmist could have written about, The attributes of God, the glory of creation,
0: the wonder of the covenant, of all the things the psalmist could have written about, the longest chapter of the Bible is devoted to the Bible itself. Why? Because I think Psalm 119 does something that we so often take for granted. Psalm 119 celebrates the fact that this book that I hold in my hand is the very word of God.
1: Do you believe that? This book
0: that I hold in my hand contains God's word. It doesn't just contains God's word, it is God's word the same God who created the universe, the same God who parted the Red Sea and led his people to the promised land, the same God who out of his love for you and me sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is the word of God, to take on flesh, to die, and to rise again for our salvation. This same God has recorded by the power of the Holy Spirit through stewards over centuries his very word so that you and I could hold it in our hand or bring it up on a Bible app and read it any time that we want to. This is amazing. This is nothing short of grace and its cause for celebration. And so in the opening section of Psalm 119, in those first eight verses, The psalmist uses five different terms to talk about God's Word, to teach us what it's like. In verse 1, we're told that God's Word is His law. In the Bible, the law of God is synonymous with the Word of God. It refers to an entire body of Scripture. For Jesus, in Luke 10, we see that He thought of God's entirety of the Word as being the law. Psalm 119, verse 1 Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. In verse 2, we're told that the word of God is the testimony of God. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. In other words, this is God's spoken will recorded on every page. In verse 4, we're told that the word of God is the precepts of God. In other words, this is God's commands, his orders as if given by a judge. Psalm 119, verse 4, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Verse 5, we're told that the word of God is the statutes of God. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. To call God's word a statute is to say that it is lasting, it is timeless. The word statute literally means something inscribed, something chiseled in. The word of God is permanent. It's trustworthy. It does not change. And finally, in verse 6, we're told that the word of God is the commandment of God. Then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. In other words, this is the definitive and authoritative command of God. Now, the thing that these five words, these five terms for God's word have in common is they demonstrate the deep connection between the authority of God's word and the authorship of God's word. What do I mean by that? Park City's Presbyterian Church, we believe that the Bible is the word of God, that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, It is the final authority, our only rule of faith and practice. Now, those who question the trustworthiness and the authority of God's word will often say, Well, how can I trust it? I mean, this is a very old book. And it's not like anybody can go back to the very first copy of each thing that was written. It's an ancient document. How do we know it's true? How do we know it can be trusted? Well, unlike any other ancient document, there is a mountain of physical evidence for the trustworthiness of the Bible. The Bible we have today comes from over 5,000 manuscripts. That's 1,000 times more manuscripts than any other ancient document. The oldest manuscript that we have for the New Testament is from John goes all the way back to 130 AD. The oldest complete copy of the New Testament that we have goes all the way back to 350 AD. Now get this, the oldest copy of the Old Testament that we have comes from the book of Numbers chapter 6. It goes all the way back to the 7th century BC. I've seen that with my own eyes. It's in a museum in Jerusalem. It's amazing to behold.
1: Now, all of that physical evidence
0: is actually not why I trust the Bible. It's worthy to consider. It proves something that no other ancient document can do that this is the most well preserved book in history. But that's not why I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because God wrote it, and He is trustworthy. There's a deep connection between the authority and the authorship of God's word. This word and every word in it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what that means for you and me as we come to read it is that we can't read it like any other book. We have to begin by recognizing if this is a Holy Spirit inspired book, then we need Holy Spirit-inspired reading. When you come to read or hear the Bible, have you done the hard work of asking the Holy Spirit to work in your heart? Have you done the hard work of asking the Spirit to till the soil of your soul so that the word of God might be planted deeply within you? You see, we can't come and read the Bible with our own just mere intellects, our own abilities. But we approach the Bible with so much brokenness and sin and bias that we need the Holy Spirit to give us illumination. Now, what do I mean by that? We need the Holy Spirit to light up the darkest places of our soul, to show us the truthfulness the trustworthiness, the majesty, the beauty, and the glory of God's word. When we read God's word with the Holy Spirit, we are taking what might be abstract to you. And by the spirit, it's becoming personal. By the spirit, it's becoming relational. By the spirit, God's word is now his word for you. And to you,
1: as you read God's word, you need the Holy Spirit to work in you in such a way that you see that this is a gift
0: given for you. When Jesus often taught in the Gospels, after he would be done teaching, he would say, he who has ears, let them hear. And so this morning, I think we need to take that warning to heart. He or she who has ears, let them hear. He or she who has eyes to read, let them see.
1: We need spiritual eyes, spiritual ears
0: to not only see God's word, but to hear it spoken to us as a father speaks to a son or daughter. This is God's word and he is speaking to you. Are you listening by the power of the Holy Spirit? But not only should we read God's word by the spirit, second, I want us to see that Psalm 119 shows us we have to begin to understand what it means to read God's word with a holy appetite. I want you to look at Psalm 119 verse 14. Psalm 119, verse 14, this is what the psalmist says. He says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The theme of delighting in God's word continues over and over and over again in Psalm 119. In other words, the psalmist is trying to help us to understand that God's word is something we should delight in, it's something to be enjoyed, it's something to be savored, it's something that we should feast on. So I think the question, if we're going to be honest this morning, we have to ask ourselves, then why does sometimes reading the Bible feel like such a chore? Do you ever feel that way? I want you to know that even as a pastor, I sometimes feel that way. And when I come to the Bible, it feels like something I just have to do, like a box I just need to check off, that I know it's good for me, but I just I don't really want to do it. Why does it feel that way? Well, I think so often we struggle to read God's Word because we're reading it wrong. When we approach God's Word as simply a discipline in of itself, just a duty, a box to be checked, We miss out that the discipline of reading God's Word should always lead to delight. That God's Word is to be a delight for us, so how can that happen? How is it that in the most driest of seasons, or the most dangerous of seasons like we are in now, how is it that God's Word becomes a delight? Well. By the work of the Holy Spirit, we need to develop a holy appetite for God's word. Let me show you what I mean. Psalm 119, verse 103. You can turn there if you have a Bible, or you can just listen. Psalm 119, verse 103, the psalmist writes this. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. I want you to use your imagination this morning. I want you to imagine the best honey that you have ever tasted. I can still taste it in my mouth. I know some of you might not like honey. And, you know, you need to repent. That's okay. We We can talk about that. It's a totally different subject. Hard to say it would be a sermon. I was like you once. Didn't really appreciate honey until I didn't have anything sweet in my mouth for six weeks. I was in sub-Saharan Africa, eating nothing but noodles and rice and, yes, rat. And then I was given fresh, raw, and you couldn't get any more local than this, honey. I could still taste the complexity and the sweetness of that honey as I put it in my mouth. Can you taste it? Now for you, if it's not honey, maybe it's a, a, a great steak or a piece of chocolate cake. What the psalmist is saying is the word of God is even better than the most savory and the most sweet thing that you could ever put in your mouth. We need to develop a longing for the word that looks like that that we we could be salivating over the word of God, that we would begin to develop a holy hunger, an appetite for God's word. Now,
1: how do we do that? Well, I think we need to
0: start thinking about reading God's word differently. Prophet Jeremiah gives us a picture of what this might look like, Jeremiah 15, 16. He says, your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. So this morning, let me ask you, what are you hungry for? What have you developed an appetite for? We must begin to develop an appetite, not for the things of this world, but an appetite for the things of God and a holy hunger for his word. How do we do that? How do we develop an appetite for God's word? The way that we develop an appetite for the word of God is through meditation. I want you to look again, Psalm 119 verse 14. It's there in your bulletin. The psalmist says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much in all riches. So not just great food, but in all the riches of the world. The psalmist says, I delight in the word even more than those things. And I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. How does God's word become a delight to us? How do we develop an appetite for it? By meditating on it. When is the last time that you really meditated on God's word? Now I am all for Bible study. I very much believe in going to the original language, uh, biblical theology, historical theology, a good commentary Great Bible study methods like inductive Bible study. These are all essential to know what the Word of God says. But meditating on God's Word is something different. Now, when you hear meditation, I wonder what do you think of? I think for a lot of people, thinking about meditating feels kind of hokey, seems kind of strange. When you hear the word meditation, perhaps you're thinking about some Eastern New Age practice where you empty your mind of all thought. You become one with your own rhythm of breathing. But that's not what biblical meditation looks like. In the Bible, meditation is not emptying your mind, it's filling it. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with God's word. Biblical meditation is devoting your heart to the scriptures. In the Bible, there are two words used for meditation. The first is found in our Psalm, Psalm 119, verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. This word for meditation means to think on, to focus on, or here in the Psalm we see, to fix your eyes on, in other words, to meditate is to focus your heart and mind on god's word in the midst of all that is going around us with such fear for the pandemic division and strife and injustice all around us to meditate on god's word is to say i will fix my eyes on the truths of scripture rather than the opinions of man but the other word for meditation is found in Psalm 1, verse 1. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This word for meditation is much more animalistic. This word for meditation means to moan or to growl. It can be used to describe a lion growling over its prey. In other words, this kind of meditation is not just focus and fixing your eyes on the word, but it's feasting on it. And so you might say this morning, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I meditate like that? For me, the most practical way of meditating on God's word that I've found is an ancient practice called Lectio Divina. It just means spiritual reading. It goes all the way back to monasticism in the sixth century. Now, it sounds really high and lofty, but it's really simple. There are four easy steps. The first is this, read the word. You cannot meditate on God's word unless you are reading it. And this morning, if you are not reading God's word, then you are starving yourself. And I do not say that as condemnation or judgment, and I am saying it to myself as much as I am saying it to you. But like a father pleading with a child, telling him to eat their green beans. If you do not read the word, you are starving yourself, and you are going into spiritual atrophy. You've got to read God's word. You need to develop a habit of reading the word. And if you don't have a good Bible plan, I invite you, join us with our daily prayer guide. You can find it online or on our app every day we put god's word before you that you might read it we don't just stop at reading the second step is to meditate to not just read and blow past and skim the surface but to stop and soak to ask the holy spirit to show you what is it that god's word needs to say to you today the third step past meditation is prayer to respond to God's word with his word, to pray God's word back to him. When we find ourselves at the end of our rope, when we find ourselves not knowing what is going on, we feel out of control and we question even God's goodness, but we know we have to pray and we should pray. Sometimes words fail us, we don't know what to say. In those moments, we have the opportunity to pray God's word when we don't know what to pray. The fourth and final part of Lectio Divina is to live God's word, to recognize that by the Spirit, God's word is being planted deep within us so that we not would not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. That every time we read God's word, we should expect to be changed. And so the third and final thing that Psalm 119 shows us as we end this morning, how should we read the word? We must read God's word with great expectation.
1: What do you expect when you read
0: the Bible? The truth is we all approach the Bible with some degree of bias, some degree of expectation that we put on it. Some of us this morning are skeptical. We expect the Bible to be archaic, outdated, and full of error. Some of us this morning are cynical and we expect the Bible just to let us down. Some of us this morning are weary. We're tired. and We expect the Bible to just be one more chore, one more thing that we have to do. Some of us this morning are fearful. We expect the Bible to bring judgment and condemnation. Some of us this morning are comfortable and we expect the Bible to support our own agendas. Some of us this morning are prideful and we expect the Bible to be a waste of time. But brothers and sisters, friends, what I want you to see this morning is every one of us is needy. And every one of us is sinful. And every time we read the Bible, we can expect to be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, How can I say that with such certainty? Psalm 119, we see what reading expectantly looked like. Psalm 119 verse nine, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word, the psalmist says, in my heart that I might not sin against you. You can hear the longing in his prayer, but you can also sense the hope and expectation that when he reads God's word, when he stores it in his heart, he will find life. When you read God's word with expectation, you can expect to find renewal and redemption. When you read God's word with expectation, you can expect to find life. Why? Because when you read God's word with expectation, you can expect to encounter Jesus Christ on every page. In this gospel, John tells us that Jesus Christ is the word who took on flesh. Jesus Christ, the word of God, took on flesh. He died and rose again for you and for your salvation so that all who believe in him and trust in his word would have eternal life. This is God's word given for you, for your salvation. The question that Jesus is asking you and me this morning is how do you read it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would now work in our hearts, that even as we sing this final hymn that will become our prayer, that you would speak to us, God, through your word, that you would reveal the person and work of Jesus Christ for our salvation. May we trust you, may we trust your word, and may we find eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.